We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the True Faith Podcast, special edition uh, with Times journalist George Corgan, True Faith editor Mick Martin, myself, Alex Hurst, and fellow True Faith podcaster Simon Campbell. George, thanks very much for joining me once again. It's great to see you. Pleasure. Uh, plenty, plenty been going on in all things Newcastle United. As always. And uh, you've been to, to most of the games or many of the games recently. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, how do you think the season's going as a whole? Do you think Newcastle are where they're supposed to be? Yes, I do. I think for a team that was relegated uh, after two or three, four years of decline, I think to be where they are uh, is good and positive. And um, you know, the team isn't always everything that we might want it to be. But I think, bearing in mind goals scored, number of wins, so on and so forth, I think I think they've done very well. My next question, therefore, is: Does everyone at Newcastle United share that vision? Well, that, that it opinion? was pointed the way my answer was was pointed. Um, that is the concern, isn't it? Because um, I think I think by any reasonable um, analysis of, of where they are, you compare Newcastle to Aston Villa and Norwich, the two teams who who went down, and you know they're fl- they're flying comparatively. That is the big thing that's emerged over the last week or last couple of weeks, last month, um, about what the owner um is is doing why he's kind of re-emerged from the shadows as it were um and what's going to happen moving forward i hope you know i hope that is the case but um i have to say it's been a bit alarming in the last two or three weeks michael um the local press pack seem to have taken a bit of abuse last couple of weeks yeah that would be great thanks (laughs) yeah the local press pack um the lads at the Chronicle especially have taken a bit of heat and I've, I've, I've seen you in the very unusual position of sticking up for them. Mm. Um, where do you think this is coming from or do you, do, you have any, do you have a message for the people listening to say hang on, these lads know what they're talking about, their sources are genuine. Do we all need to be a lot more worried than, than a lot of fans are making out the ones who are saying this is all scaremongering and clickbait? Um. There is a load of clickbait in the local papers. Um, everybody knows that that's that's a crisis that the local media have got. They don't sell papers anymore. Everything's online, so they have to they have to uh, they have to generate an income. And they do that through clicks. And Newcastle United is a massive click. Um, there isn't enough news for to, to justify the the amount of content that there is. So most of the time I'll kind of rail against it because I think it's insulting to some to readers, etc. Uh, that's my view on it. However, uh, that doesn't mean they're wrong all of the time. Um, and 
over the last fortnight they've been right. Um, some people might not like a headline here and how it's this is phrased this way and five things we knew about this and all that kind of nonsense. But um, sometimes, you know, it's it's harder to digest the ugly truth than to listen to a beautiful lie. And um, sadly, sadly, um, what they've been driving at has been correct. Just like that Moxley stuff earlier in the month has been proven to be to have been right and we're wrong um, and you know it's really unpalatable and you it's kind of it's it's the it's the classic case of when you hear bad news you deny it's happening don't you nobody wants to believe it you want to believe it's wrong blah 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 but unfortunately I do think there is something behind behind what's what's happening so I am in the unusual position of defending the local the local papers I know one or two of them they're good guys uh, I don't know others can't comment on them really, but what I do what I do know is that there is something um, in the undergrowth of Newcastle United. And at the minute, I'm a bit I'm very worried about it. Sigh on the podcast when that Neil Moxley stuff came out, which Michael alludes to. Me and you took it apart. We looked at why why it was literally nonsensical mm. that that Mike Ashley would would believe would think or believe the things that that um, the article was saying. Since then, obviously, the noise has, has grown. Where, where do you say is going from here as a fan base for the rest of the season? Is it is it quite simply just ignore what the papers are saying, or do you think we'll have to have this show of unity and support the likes that we saw on Saturday towards the managers? Is it that important that we need like we get the message across to the people right at the top saying, no, we're not going to stand for this? It's a huge dilemma, isn't it? Because come the end of the season, we know there's something big's going to happen, and we have no idea what the outcome can be. We all have a pretty nasty inkling that it's going to go one way because it just seems so unlikely that it, it goes the way we all want it to go with, with Ashley because of, because of previous. Um, the, the only thing for me is, is, is your question is, what, what do we do? It's, you, you've got to hang on to that hope that it could go the right way because if you've already resigned yourself to the fact that even if we see through the rest of the season, we get promoted and then it all goes wrong from there, it's like, well, what, what next? And we're just going to go back into the loop of Newcastle United under Ashley. You've got to hope that something changes to, to break that cycle. So come May, you've just got to hope that the importance of Rafa Benitez has been illustrated and we as fans can only help that by doing what we did on Saturday and continuing to do it until until we know the truth. I think that's I think that's really important because the worst thing, I mean, the absolutely worst thing that could happen short term is that Newcastle indulges in navel-gazing and implodes and the team doesn't go up. I mean, I think that would be terrible. I mean, that would be awful. Um, the the big thing hanging over everything else is Benitez's future and, and all that but there is there's still a big job to do between now and May I think what the stories and I wrote I wrote you know one of those stories one of the big thing in the aftermath of that was Benitez's response first of all that he there was a it was a rallying cry. I'm not quitting. Nobody had written that he was quitting, <laughs> but um, you know did that. And the atmosphere on Saturday was was brilliant. It was really good. There's lots of people in there. You know the, the flag flag display, which which obviously you're involved with, was fantastic. And there was a good noise in the stadium. And it has to be like that every other weekend. It really does. I think in the short term, it would be. It would be awful if the if the really good position that the team's in is thrown away. George, do you see 
Rafa Benitez, managing Newcastle United in the Premier League in August. Can you see that as a, is that a realistic prospect at this stage? Um, yes. Do I think it's likely? I don't know. I feel. I feel. If I had to put money on it at the moment, I, I, I wouldn't put money on him staying. I'm afraid. But um, you know, there is time between now and then. My my real concern is that um, you know it sort of said there is there's time between now and the end of the season for you know Ashley to show that he's he's learned or from tough conversations there's just been two months of really hard work leading up to the transfer window and including the transfer window when he wasn't listening so the you know the important stuff has already happened and Benitez wasn't listened to so that is my real concern that it almost doesn't matter what happens between now and the end of the season because he's already missed his opportunity I might be wrong, I might be wrong and um, you know the good thing is that there is time and there would have to be serious serious discussions. There would always have been serious discussions at the end of the season. There would have been serious discussions if Newcastle had stayed up and Benitez had stayed because he he isn't interested in finishing 17th in the Premier League. He would have been last season, obviously. Um, but that isn't something that. That's not why he came to Newcastle. He came. To, I mean, and this is why I quite often get asked. You know, what what is the fascination with Newcastle fans and Benitez? Why is there this huge love for him when the club have gone down and you know the top of the Premier League, top of the Championship? But you know, kind of so what? It's almost like you know he hasn't achieved anything. Well, it's what he represents, and he doesn't. It's not just his CV as a manager, it's not the fact that he's won things elsewhere. It's a very old-fashioned sort of belief in Newcastle's potential. You know, Benitez equals hope. I think that's the most important thing for you. And we talked about this last time I did the podcast, I'm sure. But, you know, for years after being told by Pardew and McLaren and Carver about how small the club was and how it couldn't compete with Southampton and whoever else, Benitez is at Newcastle because he sees potential and that is a really really important and powerful thing and you know I think we're all sort of desperately clutching onto that because because it feels so important well he represents um, a step change doesn't he yeah and, 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 and that's the that's the key that's the key thing and, and I think as supporters you know I mean personally I was ready to chuck it last season when the when there were um, when they were going down again, I couldn't see any hope, and I've pinned a hell of a lot on Rafa Benitez. Yeah. He's basically, I think, for a lot of supporters that I know, um, around about my age, they're only there because of him, um, and they would have definitely chucked it because, for years, they, they were a zombie football club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The work, works team and all that. Uh, absolutely, that you know. So, and they were all of that, and um, and I look at I look at the kind of the. The atmosphere around the ground, the, the the belief that there is in Benitez, and the love that there is for him, because, as you rightly say, he believes in Newcastle United in the same way the supporters believe in it. He's not trying to con us that it's not all that, it's not this, it's not that. He is the step. He's the step change. Now, if that step change is stopped, and it looks like it's paused at, yeah. the, at the moment, if it's stopped in the summer this club will implode in my opinion. I think when when some of the people that I've talked to who are, you know, the, I think of them as being the archetypal black and white as home and away over many, many decades, 
when they're saying, if if he goes, I go, and, and I hear that repeated over and over, then I think the club is in serious shit. Um, and, yeah. and I think um, Ashley is um, playing a really dangerous game if he thinks that Benitez isn't doing as good a job as he thinks he should be doing. Because, as you rightly say, look at Villa, look at Norwich, look at the full houses. They're not here because you know they, they've got nothing else to do on a Saturday. No. They're here because they believe in Benitez. Um, and, that, uh, and that the club has potential. Uh, if Ashley messes with that, I, I don't think he'll have a football club. Well, and particularly if it's if it's over, you know, transfers and transfer policy, yeah. and you know that sort of old that old chestnut. I mean, um, you know, I think I think all top class managers you want you'd want a 70, 80 percent hit rate for signings, and I think Benitez comfortably hits that. And you know, there's a, there's a there's a sort of different side to the argument. Okay, so Gamez cost whatever he is, and he's 31. By the same token, Benitez has got Gufran playing again. He's reinvented him as a footballer. You don't have to top that up in terms of transfer fees, but who would have thought, you know, after he'd been off the radar for as long as he was, who would have thought that he would be as important as he's turned out to be? And that's through coaching. So it doesn't all, you know, it doesn't all add up. Um, but there seems to be a, a kind of a different set of standards for what Benitez is being judged by and what has gone before so you had you've got Benitez under this harsh glare it appears from from Ashley which in my opinion is completely ill judged and then you've got somebody like Graham Carr who I think is needs to go he needs to be out of that out of this club because he seems to be a kind of a toxic figure now with the football club who was working against the football club in my opinion for his own ends, because if Benitez gets control of the football club in the way he should, what use is Graham Carr? So uh, Graham Carr may be putting his own interests ahead of the football club at I the moment. I think there was, I mean, so to get into some of this stuff, I think there was a there was a mistake last summer. Was Graham Carr not leaving? And I think the club have handled that badly. And if there's a criticism of Benitez, it is that when he had the chance to mould things completely. That was a chance to say, look, thanks very much, Graham. You've done a great job. But it worries me that um, actually is still listening to the man, turning up to football matches with him, and, and, and clearly Carr has got a hotline to Ash and, and, and Ashley. And not speaking to Benitez at those games, oh, yeah. he was out, which is and Benitez crazy. doesn't have that kind of relationship. He has to go. Benitez is the most important man at the club, and he has to go through an intermediary to talk to them, the man who owns the club, whereas Graham Carr, who's yeah. Notionally, the chief scout has this relationship with him, and Graham Carr will be feeding him nonsense about the kind of about the squad, about players, etc. When we all know some of the absolutely spectacular failures that he's brought to the football club, who have bombed, frankly, Torven, Cabela, Amboa, Mitrovic, in my, in my opinion, and and we could go on. He has had some successes; that's undeniable. But he has brought a right load of shade to the club as, as well, yeah. and um, uh, and for Ashley not to be able to see that, not to be able to understand what Carr's game is, really, really worries me. Yeah, I think there's been, to me, it feels like there's been a, a, a bit of a power struggle at the club, um, and I think in some ways Benitez has been in the middle of it. I think great, um, Benitez having not having that relationship with Ashley is fine. Because in some senses, because him, he and um, 
what's his face, managing director Lee Charnley, <laughs> Charnley had been working well, and if they've been left alone to do that, um, it's been fine and it's been good. As you say, suddenly if Graham Carr is going to matches with Ashley and is advising Ashley, then that chain of command becomes blurred. And what is, I mean, I know, I know that Carr had no involvement whatsoever in the transfers of last summer. So he's been marginalised. Yeah. So why is he? Why is he suddenly re-emerged? What's happening? Is that if if the transfer policy that we all know about is going to be reimposed? I think Benitez wouldn't have a problem with that as long as it's spelled out to him, and as long as you know, as long as there's communication about that, and as long as he has control over where the money goes, and. You know, th th allegedly there was always a there were rooms f for exceptions with the policy. We never saw that, but allegedly there were there was always room for, for manoeuvre. If Newcastle go up and Benitez says, "Fine, I'm happy with this policy, but I need a 32-year-old in midfield this season, and I insist we're going to get he has to be listened to." Equally, if he signs younger players, he's done that all the way through his career. If he says if he's told this is the policy it's about buying young, younger players here's your budget and he says okay thank you very much for my budget i'm deciding that i want to spend 50 million pounds on this 22 year old he has to be listened to now i'm not saying that's going to happen i'm exaggerating for the, to make yeah, the point but it's it's the policy isn't an issue it's how it's implemented and who does it and that's right and i think i personally think you need to ashley needs to un really truly understand um, Benitez's CV because if you look at his whole career he's developed teams with young players as you rightly say he did it at Valencia, he's done it at Liverpool he did it spectacularly at Napoli um, he's had a few failures but at Real Madrid and uh, if you like and um, uh, if you can describe being four points behind Barcelona <laughs> when he left as a failure um, he was kind of notionally unsuccessful at Inter I suppose you might argue sure there was an explanation for that but if you look at what he did and what he's achieved then he's done a hell of a lot more in the game than the ex-manager Northampton Town yeah uh, from our perspective in terms of podcast listeners will know when we me and Si were lucky enough and other people from True Faith to meet Rafa December we we when all this stuff was coming out during the transfer window we were very almost kind of you know Rafa won't be upset um, you know, don't believe the media and were spectacularly wrong as you've gone into, but that's because he he briefed people that you know us as a group. He, he, he spent about ten minutes saying why he didn't want to buy in January, why January was really difficult. There was no yeah. value; it was almost impossible. And for, for the majority of January, that seemed to ring true. However, do you think Andros Townsend, in particular, changed that philosophy from, or do you think no? You, you, regardless of Townsend. Mm -hmm he wanted two players and didn't get them. Do I think the Townsend deal is, is the specific one that seems to have caused this controversy? Well, he wanted, I mean, you know, he wanted a central midfielder and he wanted a winger. He doesn't, he feel, felt that after Sissoko left in the summer, there was a lack of width in the team and that was the lack of balance that he's talked about a lot. I mean, I was told that they, that was what he was looking at throughout January, put a lot of work into it. And the, the you know, the issue is for me is that they identified targets now. Townsend was obviously sort of was a big one. There was James McCarthy at Everton, um, and then there were I'm sure I mean they went through a, a load of names. They went through a load of names, um, 
including people like Barrow, who subsequently went from Swansea to Leeds. The issue is that they looked at um, permanence, nothing happened. So, you know, they do a lot of work. It's not, it's not dodgy stuff, but it's like, well, you put, you spend time researching players for the position, then it's about availability, then it's, well, do we think they would come, speak to agents, speak to clubs, get things sorted out as much as you can do before the window opens. Now it's the 1st of January, let's get on with it. Well, nothing happened. And then a week went past, and then two weeks went past, and nothing had happened. So it's, okay, should we test this by doing loans with a view? Should we try and do it like that? Nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. So his frustration grew because, from his perspective, the conversations weren't being had, and he wasn't being told why that, you know, why nothing was happening. So, and it kind of goes back to the summer when he was given, in, when he did speak to Ashley, he was told there was a budget and he was specifically told he didn't have to sell anybody. So although there was, you know, a big expenditure, particularly for a championship team, there was also a huge profit. So the understanding or the feeling was that there would be leeway to spend in January. People point out that Ashley has since had to put more money into the club in the form of a loan. That's effectively instead of having an overdraft with the bank, so the club has been charged less interest for it and so on and so forth. Um, and that's a, you know, that's a reasonable point, but equally other teams who didn't make profit in the summer are still spending now. And it's that thing of if two million quid now, five million quid now, 10 million quid now, 50 million quid now, does get you over the line, gets you promoted. It's also taking away some of the work you have to do in, 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 in the summer. So really from a football perspective and a business perspective, it made sense to invest. And my real concern is what it says about the lack of communication behind the scenes. So if we go back to the summer, when I think it was two weeks between last game of the season, which was a Sunday, I just over two weeks yeah. until the club made the announcement that I think it was the 31st or something of May that Benitez was going to, to stay on as manager on a three-year deal. W were those, and I mean two weeks is a long time and we're, we're told through the through the press, so you might know better than us, that those two weeks were solid negotiations. It wasn't kind of meet up for one day and see you again in three days. It was, no, it was Rafa wanted everything to be correct. So se severe, nego like, you know, serious negotiations. How well, first of all, who were those negotiations with? Were they with Mike Ashley direct? Um, I don't think it was. It wasn't full-on negotiations with with Benitez. I mean, I think they had the meeting and then they went their separate ways, and then there was Fair talk enough. between lawyers and solicitors and all that sort of stuff. I'm not sure. Well, I might be wrong about this. I don't think there's been serious meetings between Benitez and Ashley since then. I think they had their first meeting, and that was more or less it. And it was then between John Lee and I think all dealings have been with them. You know, there were conversations about budgets, and then that's gone one way and gone the other way. But I mean, in terms of you know serious nitty gritty stuff, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know about that. No, my question was going to be how, presumably, Benitez will have gone into the away from those meetings when he signed the contract, thinking that he has complete control. So is 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 January a case of him having the rug completely pulled from beneath him? Well, he's not. I mean. Uh, you know, I think he said he said in the press conference afterwards, or whatever, it was complete. What was the phrase? It wasn't complete football control, but it was control of football business, or whatever like that. But he's not the one that's in control of the budget, and he's not the one that signs the checks. So, 
you know, that's not the way football works, certainly not anymore. So um, there is a sort of chain of chain of command, but there was this attitude around the club, what Rafa wants, what Rafa, you know, Rafa gets. That was sort of said quite a few times over the over the summer. It's not a carte blanche, for example, there were sort of cosmetic changes around the training ground. I know that Benitez doesn't think it's fit for purpose long term and it's it's not. I mean compared to other I was at Brighton two or three weeks ago and my god their training ground is extraordinary. They spent twenty nine million quid on their training ground in the in the championship and it's sensational. And you compare that to Newcastle's and it's you know it's not a good it's not a good comparison. I'm sure Benitez would love to change that. I'm sure he also understands that if the club have other priorities Fair enough. So it's not the case that he can go in and say, we have to spend £20 million on the training ground, we have to do this, we have to do that. But, I mean, com certainly compared to his predecessors, he has he has control. But, you know, it's not the overall control, because he doesn't have the purse strings. Yeah, so that's, <clears throat> that's interesting, because my, my next question was going to be, people were worried about him walking out, even though, like you say, no one actually wrote that. Is he still here? I mean, you said he wouldn't put money on them being here August the 13th, whatever, when the Premier League kicks off. Is he still here because he, out of pride, out of duty? You know, if he's had the rug completely pulled under him in terms of January, why do you think he has decided to stay on when well, many managers would walk? I don't think leaving has ever been part of his agenda. I don't think that's been part of it. He see he wants to get them up. And as I said at the start, I think there would always have been I mean he's under contract, but I think there would always have been big, big discussions in the summer about budgets and where, you know, where the club saw themselves going. I would have been more positive about those talks a month ago, two months ago, because I know, you know, I've had I've had conversations with people at the top of the club who aren't like Ashley. So use your head. But um who who have spoken about the sea change that Benitez has brought and that if Benitez went, they would look to sign another high profile manager, someone who could have a relationship with fans, as if there's been this sort of huge awakening. Now, that's great, but it you know, if Ashley doesn't believe that or doesn't buy into that it's also a, it's also irrelevant so there are there are big you know big concerns going you know the worst thing that would be hap would happen is is that well the worst thing that would happen is the club don't go up and Benitez goes the, the second worst thing is that the club go up and then retreat back to how they were before they came down which was no fun to be around and you know sort of Surrounded by kind of limitations and all that, and that's just not 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 what we want. I can't remember what the question was. Went on hmm. so long. Yeah. It was what? Why do you think he hasn't walked away? Because of well, because I, yeah. I, I don't think he has any interest in doing that. I think he wants to get Newcastle back up, um, and you know he's a man of he's a man of honour, and I think he wants to to do that. It's not. I don't think anything happened that was dramatic enough for him to walk away. There hasn't been a big argument. There hasn't been that. The worry is. That it's to use that Kevin Keegan phrase, it's not how it seemed in the brochure, and it, the you know the where the balance of power lies in the relationship is okay. Mike Ashley is the owner and and uh, of the football club, but Benitez doesn't need Newcastle in quite the same way that we need Benitez, and I think that's the you know that's the sort of you know if he gets Newcastle up. With his record, with his CV, he will have the choice of he will have a choice of club still.
So, and I know that clubs have been interested in him um, since he's been at Newcastle. You know, there's always going to be Chinese interest now in in, in pl both players and managers, and you know he will have suitors. He will have suitors in this country and elsewhere. Mate, we talked about a little bit about next season and the potential implications. Do you see the announcement this week about the frozen season ticket power prices a little bit as the club trying to steady the waters, create a positive vibe again, or do you think it's just one of those things that we're always going to do regardless of who came in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that pricing would have been decided months ago, uh, and uh, and obviously now is the time when people decide to renew or or otherwise. So. Um, is it a price freeze because there's actually more games in the championship than there is in the Premier League? So, you know, um, without getting into the whys and wherefores of, of that, uh, I think there's also a certain amount of money available in the North East um, for season tickets. I don't think you could charge Arsenal prices at, at Newcastle. Um, well, having the, there isn't the income up here that there is. It does worry me a little bit. Uh, in some ways, I kept finding myself contradicting myself because. I've always wanted for football to be affordable and for um, you know ordinary working class people to be able to come and see their team play um, and it does worry me that there are communities out there who are the traditional Newcastle United communities in the West End, the East End, Gateshead etc who are kind of too costs far too much to um, even now to, to, come, to come and see Newcastle play. It does worry me that um, we are kind of moving further and further away from Man United, Liverpool, Tottenham, etc. Et their prices. Um, you know, we're rightly proud of the fact that we've got 52,000 coming to games, but I wonder how much our match day income is now compared to Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, etc. I think we're we're falling further and further behind in terms of in terms of income. Um, and that's because the product isn't as good as it once was, where we used to sell far more corporate packages than we do now. Um, I think you know the, the attraction of Newcastle United, even in the northeast, isn't as great as what it once, once was to its corporate customers. They must have lost dozens and dozens, well, no other half. Um, so that, that's worrying. But a positive or a negative? Yes, to a degree. But we all know dozens of people hundreds of people, perhaps thousands of people who don't go anymore, who were paying top whack ten years ago, who aren't paying now. And they've had a they've had an innovation with the level seven part of the ground which is more or less now a completely uh, family enclosure. Who would criticise that? Who could possibly criticise that? Um, but what it means is is that your kind of traditional punter, your your working class male if you like uh, there's fewer and fewer of them going to the to the game, and they paid the kind of the the bigger fund that they were paying earlier. So in a roundabout way, it's good in some ways in in terms of reconnecting with the community as it sh as it should do. But in others, I do w worry what's happening at Everton, who are going to move to a new stadium. Tottenham, who are in the throes of moving to a new stadium, where our kind of USP 52,000 screaming Geordies doesn't seem have the same cashiers at once had and that's basically down Ashley because we've stood still at best when he's been here and, and regressed in a lot of ways two relegations in eight years speaks for itself um, but in terms of the development of the club the corporate side the merchandising all, all of that has gone backwards under on his watch
at the same time, the the TV money now sort of dwarfs ticket, you know, the, the, the ticket money. So a club like Bournemouth can be as big as Newcastle, effectively, That's right. just from being in the Premier League, That's and right. in some ways can be bigger, bigger because they're on the south coast, right. close to London, or you know, whatever. So Ironically, though, I agree with that. I, it, it's it's completely right, and I've got friends who support Celtic and Rangers who are poorer clubs than Bournemouth and Watford, and you yeah. know, they, they grind their teeth at, at, at that. And I suppose any traditional fan would as well see them as being much more high-profile football clubs. Having said that, the major clubs are still looking at redeveloping their stadiums. Mm -hmm. So Liverpool have just opened a new stand at, at Anfield. It's, it's almost 100% corporate, um, but they still have, they've still done that. Everton are doing the, are looking to do the same. Tottenham are looking to do the same. Chelsea are looking to, to do the same. So the the edge. Is, seems to be yeah everybody will get the same TV money to a degree and you know some some clubs will get the Champions League money but are still looking at developing the grounds beyond what they've got now to bring in more dough and and I, I think that's to increase that profile I forgot about Manchester City they've done the same sixty thousand at Man City who would interesting one if they can get sixty thousand if we can get fifty two thousand in the in the Championship that still convinces me. This football club is still punching, punching well below its weight. Spot on. We may as well spend the kind of last few minutes of the show talking about football a little bit. So, George, <laughs> uh, um, <coughs> this season I will caught up for you. I think we caught up with you at the the start of September last time. How has it been since then? Have you managed to see much football at St James's Park, or have you been kind of here, there, and everywhere? No, I have done. I mean, I think the fact is that. Um, Certainly, like comparison with Middlesbrough, who was sort of top of the championship last season, I didn't get there very much until the end. But I've been, um, I've been pretty regular at St James's, so they've, you know, in national terms, they've stayed a story, and it's on my doorstep. So I'll go to games even if I'm not reporting on. But no, I've, I've, um, I've seen, a, I've seen a lot of it, and um, I've enjoyed. I mean, the quality of the division is not is not great, but. It's been very nice seeing Newcastle win games of football. I mean, I, it's simple as that, really. And um, you know, there is snobbery about the championship, and you know, we've sort of talked about you know maybe not you know it's, it's not like seeing recognisable players every week and all that kind of stuff. But it's a different challenge and it's different teams. And I know from mates of mine who still go to away games, it's different trips, and I think that does revitalise things a bit. But you know, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed seeing them seeing them win games. It's kind of, it, I totally agree, and we go to away games a lot, the away games in the Championship are far superior to anything the Premier League has to offer at the moment, but do it, if, as a reporter's point of view, I don't know how Michael finds it, but I, you know, this, this division is exhausting in terms of yeah, the content a, we put out, so I imagine all the yeah, players and coach yeah. and staff feel yeah, in terms of, yeah, yeah. you get you get in from a game and you'll write a match report or a preview on a Sunday, and all, yeah. all of a sudden you're playing, playing two days later, is it yeah. kind of the same for a reporter? Well, well so I'm, not, I'm not covering the moment away, so I don't okay. quite have that same, I don't have quite have that same, uh, I don't look at it quite that way. But I know I can I can absolutely get that because it is it's relentless. And there is a you know there's a game every midweek so it seems and uh, not this one. Um, but it sort of goes on feels like it kind of goes on forever. But um, you know I mean I, I think I think there's 
frustrations sometimes about the way the team play. I still kind of yearn to see Newcastle teams at home pummeling the opposition and I, I don't like two holding midfielders. It's much better when one of them is John Joe Shelby, but you know, I still you know, I still sort of long for the shackles to come off a bit. But um, you know, I can get I can get used to watching them win. I don't mind having that complaint if they're winning. You said you were down at Brighton fairly recently. How yeah. do you how do you compare them as a club and to, uh, compared to Newcastle? And do you think do you think they'll go up this season? And do you think they're going to be a serious Premier League force? All so, the things they're doing. So they've done a lot of things right. I mean, the stadium is great. The training ground is extraordinary. And as I said, it's 29 million quid. I mean, that was just something I hadn't realised until I went down there. And everything's there. They've got I can't remember 15, 16, 17 outdoor pitches. I mean, it's oh. absolutely extraordinary. And they've got the women's team there and the youth team there. It's a beautiful setup. They've got all the uh, you know they've got medical and gym stuff all there on on site, and it's I mean it's they've they've done a lot of things right, and obviously they've got a fantastic manager in uh, in, in Chris Hewton, which is great to see. I really hope I really hope they go up. Um, I had a I was there to, to see a player, but I had a had a nice chat with Chris, and he said that he felt that his team were in one of those runs that couldn't last and I think he's been proved right I mean he wanted it to last obviously but so they've had a couple of you know they've had a couple of setbacks recently from what I've seen um, you know I still think I think I still think they and Newcastle will be at the top at the end of it but then I was at Huddersfield on Sunday and I saw Huddersfield Leeds and you know there's, there are good there are good teams in the division and kind of solid teams the Sheffield Wednesday game on Boxing Day, I was more impressed with them than any other team. And but what they haven't got is consistency. What Sheffield Wednesday haven't got is consistency. I, what, what I, I mean, I didn't love that match for obvious reasons. But I greatly admired the way they broke up Newcastle's play and knew all the tricks. And that's the one thing that this Newcastle team doesn't have. It doesn't have quite enough cynicism I don't think it doesn't have a nasty streak going through it which the last team that went up definitely did and I would like to see a bit more of that you can't just manufacture that yeah, I agree with that no, I mean it, going back to what we said earlier very few people realise the, the change Benitez has had to make in terms of the start 11 I think you go back to the start of last season against Southampton there's only now Teotihuacan's gone Vernon and Eder and Carl Dollar who were involved in the match day squad now that's only you know 18 months on so it's like completely new squad of players he's had to, to work with so have you got any questions for George before we finish off everyone that's come has kind of gone and been answered by by what you've said um, do you do you think there's there's a reason for the kind of I, I don't know what we describe as it's like there's a growing negativity uh, amongst uh, both the match going crowd and the We'll, we'll treat them separately. The, the social media crowd. The, the, there's a there's a growing kind of need to be seen as this kind of outraged football <laughs> supporter. And um, you must get it a lot on Twitter. I'm yeah. sure from people kicking off or whatever. So what, what, do you think? Is that a football thing? Is that a Newcastle thing? Is I think it's probably societal as much. I mean, yeah, this constantly constant sort of out need for outrage or to respond to outrage. I don't know. I mean, I, th I think there's a lot of people who who go to Newcastle still who and my stepdad's one of these people who when things were kind of kicking off last season his response was I just want to go to the match I want to go to the match on a Saturday and that's really all I want to do and you have I mean he's been he took me to my first Newcastle game so 
I'm not, I'm not I've never ever criticised him or anything like that but I think that is a you know that's part of the match going crowd still people don't particularly want to go to be angry they don't particularly want to go to make a lot of noise they just want to go and watch the team and I think there was a there's a big thing in that we've also got tourists you know there's a lot of tourists tourist supporters there's a lot of people now who it's not the most important part of their weekend or not the most important part of their week might not even be the most important part of their day and um, it's difficult to it's difficult to kind of relate to that because it's so far away from my experience of football and a lot of you know certainly my generation of people but it's I mean I hate I hate saying this but the atmosphere against QPR was awful and having the full stadium is is a is a brilliant thing and my appreciation of you know all northeast fans frankly for still turning up you know during what's been a pretty lean spell I, you know it still blows me away that so many people come but you know you crave there to be atmospheres like there was on Saturday and that you know football isn't theatre football is about an expression of your own sense of pride and happiness and frustration and sometimes anger and sometimes worse but it has to be it has to be allowed it has to it's you know it has to be something that it's a, it's a participatory thing and on Saturday it was great and the previous Wednesday it was you know it was really lousy and I, I hope you know maybe maybe people like yourselves do have to work harder now to sort of generate that rawness in an environment which of course is very safe and very welcoming and sterile in some ways how do you make how do you make it uncomfortable for other teams when we're all so comfortable sitting where we are but um, it's only a short time ago I mean I, I would say one of the best atmospheres I've been in is when we've been playing Chelsea yeah um, and um, I remember when we beat, we beat them in the cup a few years ago Clive had scored in the, the first minute and I think they had disastrous run of injuries and Mourinho got it up his subs all wrong it was a horrible day rain was coming in sideways and I thought St James's that day was like an absolute bear pit. It was yeah. fantastic. Um, as you know, as some people say there's a lot of angry men in Italian <laughs> knitwear going going absolutely <laughs> ballistic from the first minute to the last, and it was just fantastic. And that's just a short time ago. And then you know, a lot of those people will be going. I think we get crowds of fifty-two thousand. It's the same everywhere, you know. Um, it is the same everywhere. You know, Liverpool is is probably worse than Newcastle. Um, Manchester United is a joke about how terrible it is. Arsenal's another cliche about the new fan, etc. Likewise, Chelsea block. You could go on and on and on. There's there's, there's part of it as well, and I, and I I do think this is that the because of what Newcastle was last season and the season before and the season of that and people this huge disconnect between what the club could be and should be and what it had been in the yeah. past and what it had become and as you said a zombie club or a works team for sports direct or however you know there was nothing to feel and apart from you know one-off occasions or derbies or whatever it was very difficult to feel any kind of love towards the club even though people still have the habit of going maybe it's you know it's taking time to rebuild that and in some ways rebuilding it in the championship when you're not watching beautiful scintillating I mean, although I'll, I'll now contradict myself because 
I would argue that being at the top of the championship is much better than being at the bottom of the Premier League, yeah, which is yeah. relentless really shit. And that's how I spend most of my Saturdays, you know, now. Um, but there has been that sort of disconnect between the club and its support. But that it kind of needs to be, it needs to be rebuilt if, if at all possible. And that, and that's kind of brings us back to the first part of what we've been talking about today. Is Benitez is the kind of symbolic of that reconnection isn't he um, you know I find it much easier to deal with anybody at the football club than I've ever done um, now um, then you know in the, the many years since True Faith's been on the go he represents that and I think if he gets stitched up people will just say this club's just beyond kind of help beyond redemption and uh, and a lot of people myself included will just chuck it and I'm, I couldn't give a toss about how much money I've paid for a season ticket by the time that comes it'll be no you're not getting any more of my time you're not getting any more of me attention me heartache etc that's it it's over to bring it back on a on a positive from what you're, you're saying George I don't think any other manager in the country that could have provoked that reaction from the fans on Saturday I don't think Guardiola coming out I don't think Mourinho coming out you know after the game on Wednesday like he did almost pleading with the fans saying we need to stay, yeah. stay United we need to get promoted <laughs> if I hadn't heard that message we wouldn't have done the flags mm. the thousands of other people that turned up I mean they were for, for my part of the ground in the corner everyone was there 10, ten minutes before kickoff on, yeah. on Saturday that wasn't the case on Wednesday no. so I think from a, to end it on a positive it's it's great that he's kind of got the, the fan base in the palm of his hands the fact that he has to do it is, is another story yeah. but it's still I hope he realises that that he does have the absolute support of this, oh, this public yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I think he's our man yeah. I think that's the that's yeah. the game Rafa yeah. Benitez is our man he's not the club he's not Ashley's man like Pardew and McLaren and others he's our man and and I think that counts for a lot he's our he's our bloke at, at the club he, he understands us he represents us he wants the best for the football club not to pursue Mike Ashley's business plan or piss about with any of those people he is our bloke I'm just going to put that on the flag and I think that's right and I do think you know it can be it's very easy to be cynical about sort of everything but he was interested in Newcastle as a as a I hate the word project I think it probably sounds better with a Spanish accent but I think you know I think that was something that he was genuinely excited about and there, there aren't many clubs around that so there's lots of Premier League clubs and, you know I talked about the Bournemouth comparison earlier but if you look at that old-fashioned potential clubs that haven't reached their potential in terms of you know in terms of achieving things in relation to its own stature then Newcastle is really one of the very few um, and he he loves it I mean I, that I don't have any problem saying that and I don't have any you know I believe that fully he, he is it's been everything he wants it to be um, in terms of the response he's had and all of those things. I think, yeah, I would like to end on a positive note. That I, I mean, I wrote a few weeks ago that um, this is an opportunity that Newcastle have not had in a generation or almost a generation. Um, and I still, think that's, I still think that's the case. I'm very nervous about what happens in the summer, but the best thing that can that can happen from now is that the stadium's a cauldron, keep winning, keep winning, keep winning, and then I think we have to cross fingers. Brilliant. Gentlemen, thanks for your time. Thanks very much to Nine Bar as well at St James's who very kindly 
let us use that room in exchange for a plug. So, Lance, thanks. I'm sure we'll see you soon. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com